Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing Lord Dashwood Missed Out by Tessa Dare. This is the four and a half book in Spindle Cove. It's a, a, a novella that follows the events of the series. Yeah, so this book follows immediately on Any Duchess Will Do. And this was published in 2015. So relatively recent. Most of her stuff is, I think. Yeah, yeah. Relatively, right. obviously, being the operative word. Right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, she's a post-2000s. <laughs> All, All right, right, so the jacket. Miss Eleonora Browning grew up yearning for the handsome, intelligent Lord Next Door but he left England without a word of farewell. One night, inspired by a bit too much sherry, Nora poured out her heartbreak on paper. Lord Dashwood missed out was a love letter to every young lady who'd been overlooked by gentlemen and an instant bestseller. Now she's on her way to speak in Spindle Cove when snowy weather delays her coach. She's forced to wait out the storm with the worst possible companion. Lord Dashwood himself. And he finally seems to have noticed her. George Travers, Lord Dashwood, has traveled the globe as a cartographer. He returns to England with the goal of marrying and creating an heir, only to find his reputation shredded by an audacious, vexingly attractive blue stocking and her poison pen. Lord Dashwood missed out his arse. Since Nora Browning seems to believe he overlooked the passion of a lifetime, Dash challenges her to prove it. She has one night. Um, slightly inaccurate. Her pamphlet is not called Lord Dashwood Missed Out. It's called Lord Ashwood Missed Out. Yeah, that's a big thing. I also think... How do I put this in the most spoiler-free version possible? The jacket describes her perception not reality. Yeah, I would agree with that. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, no, no. Like, because ultimately you're trying to get someone to pick up the book, and this is the premise. Yeah. But it's not necessarily a great representation. It's not like the two of them aren't at odds the whole time. No. Really. You know what I mean? Like, it sets up a premise that it can't quite follow through on based on the actual motivations of the yeah, but to be completely honest, the only thing I would change is the name of the pamphlet. Like, it should have been accurately named. Correct. Well, how about our random number summary? So, uh, this for this episode, we generated the random number of 18. And so, Meg, what was your random summary? Nora published the letter I wrote to my high school crush after I started college, but never sent. <laughs> I mean, legit. I, I think that's, like, the operative thing is, like, I am so glad that I burned that thing. <laughs> yeah, you never sent it, let alone sent it to a publisher. Right? Oh, man. All right, mine. If a dude sucks, write a scathing book about him and only change his name by one letter. I mean, totally. Very, it's important to be subtle and indirect in these things. Yeah, you have, I mean, it couldn't be his actual name. No, but I was also calling out the jacket, obviously. <laughs> yes, of course. 
So the the big trope in this one is it's a second chance romance. Right. So Nora, as the book said, grew up crushing on George. Mm-hmm. They never really had a romance, but right before he left, she felt like he was beginning to court her. Yeah. And so another trope is that they grew up together and he was best friends with Nora's brother. Who tragically died in a horse accident. Who tragically died in a, in a yes, horse accident. Horse riding <laughs> accident. Horse riding oh, accident. <laughs> I prefer horse accident. <laughs> so, yeah, so they, they got each other over that tragedy. You know, they got through it together. And then, um, according to Nora, he basically betrayed her. He did this, like, terrible thing to her. Not only did he mislead her as to his intentions and then disappear, but he was cruel to her in social settings before he left. So he dealt with their relationship changing and the emotional turmoil of all of it by lashing out at her. And it left a very lasting impression, obviously. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of forced, so there's a lot of forced proximity in this novel. So first of all, they um, take a carriage ride together. Yes, yeah, so she's bringing into Spindle Co. for this book review. But when she gets to the town where she's supposed to transfer to the carriage that will take her there, she finds out the carriage has already been departed. And the only remaining transportation in the direction she needs to go is already occupied by a lone individual, George. That would be George. What, what? a coincidence, Lane, that she would meet the very man she's been trying to avoid. Did she even know he was back in England? I don't think she did. Oh, yeah. So when he ran off, he ran off to become a cartographer on sailing expeditions. (laughs) Yeah. So he, like, sailed around the world. He's been gone for how long? Five years? Yeah. Like, at least, I feel like at least five years. Yes. I think that sounds right. Okay. Um, And then there's a carriage accident, and they're left alone. And it's starting to snow. There's a blizzard. And so they, my favorite trope, which is that they have to find shelter and then they're all wet and cold. And so in order to survive hypothermia, they have to undress and use their body heat to warm back up. Yeah. I have absolutely nothing to complain about with this. No, it's it's like seriously one of my favorite tropes. I love it so much. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so this happens a couple of times when that we've read when George goes to reveal his true intentions that spoiler alert he wants to end up with her and she's like how in the world can you prove to me that you've really been sincere all along it turns out he has made a grand romantic gesture in print in ink in something very tangible and like for a modern comparison the hating game when joshua shows lucy his bedroom and it's uh-huh. the color of her eyes like uh-huh. this sort of gesture the like all right fine you don't believe me here's proof i was pining for you years ago for months and months or years and years or whichever you know yeah yeah i mean i don't hate this one either no it's great it's great there one of the things i actually like about this novella too is that they reenact the past Right, so some of the conversations they've had that they felt like left 
scars, they redo. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I think, I feel like Tessa Dare does this a lot and she does it so well because it's kind of like role play, but not really. Yeah. Right. Well, I think we often see it at balls. Yeah. Like if I'd shown up at your first ball, like I promised to, we would have had a waltz. So will you waltz with me now? Like it's not always as literally a reinterpretation of a past conversation. No. But this idea of like fixing a moment in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, I said Tessa Dare does this like um, this role play, but not really. But what you're talking about, we see this in so many other novels. I'm thinking specifically of um, A Secret Love mm-hmm. with the with um, Alessia and Gabriel, one of yep. the sister books. And she never had to come out. And so he knows and he like sends her a posy so she can wear it, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> it's perfect. And Uh, as we mentioned, um, Nora's brother was killed in a horse accident. And so she is traumatized by horses. So she's traumatized by the thing that killed her loved one. And part of what sets up some of the difficulty in getting her to Spindle Cove on time, but also the reason that they're stuck in the snow and can't find a town, even though they have horses, is she is unwilling to ride a horse. Yeah. And I think we Uh, see that all the time, too, right? Like, my parents died in a carriage accident at this house so now I can't go back to this house or now I can't get in a carriage or now whatever whatever yeah whatever yeah or or I can't have kids because my younger brother and sister were killed or um oh god the second in the girl meets Duke series that she can't go on boats she she can't go on boats and she also can't go to sleep without having some water next to her bed yeah um yeah I mean it's it's great it's it's just very common very common so keep in mind, this is a novella. One of the things that both Lane and I identified and neither of us were thrilled with uh, was how there was a B plot. So it's a novella. It's like maybe 10 chapters. Mm-hmm. And half of those chapters were devoted to previous characters in Middle Cove books. And not yeah. like Beauty and the Blacksmith, where we had Aaron and Diana, who were characters previously but weren't the focus of a book and so, so they when Diana that, was having a conversation with her mother it was still right. the a plot even exactly. though there were characters from Spindle Cove involved but in this book basically it's it's an extended epilogue for Pauline and Griff mm-hmm. the hero and heroine of Any Duchess Will Do which is mm-hmm. fine like I, I liked them I liked their book I liked their book a lot it was very sexy um, very angsty <laughs> Um, so it was nice to see like a non-angsty epilogue. That said, I, I really didn't need it. I also didn't need all of the heroes of all of the other novels coming back because they did. Yeah, so basically the premise is Pauline is trying to get, to, not Pauline, Nora is trying to get to Spindle Cove to do a reading of her pamphlet. Pauline, from Any Justice Will Do, owns the bookshop where she's supposed to be giving the reading. When it's clear that the weather is going to prevent Nora from arriving, all of the heroes of the previous Bindle Cove full novels, aka Aaron is not included. Yeah, uh, I was pretty unhappy about that. Yeah, have to go out and search for Nora. So you get tons of scenes of the women in Spindle Cove talking about the men going out. You get scenes of the men going out. The thing that bothered me too is like not only was it not interesting or necessary to the plot, 
But when interesting things were going to happen, there's this scene where, like, a bar fight's about to commence. It fades to black, and you see it resolved. Yeah. So even the stuff that could have been fun about it was just glossed over. Yeah. I didn't hate that part as much as you did, I think. I kind of enjoyed that they didn't do the whole fight. I thought it was kind of funny. But basically, I wanted... If you're going to read a novella, you need you need more time with your two main characters. A novella doesn't need a B-plot, basically. Yeah, at all. But I also understand that if they hadn't had a B-plot, this book wouldn't have fit into the Spindle Cove universe. But it could have been so much smaller. It could have yeah. been the scene of Pauline asking Griff to go find her yeah. author. And then that way, because I do think you needed something small like that, just because when he does show up yeah. and does find her, like, you, it's great that for the reader that you, it's not out of the blue and you have to remind yourself in that moment who he is. Yeah. I just think it could have been cut down by, like, three quarters. Yeah, but yeah. then it would have been, like, a super short novella. Then write more sex. <laughs> right? I mean, there is an answer to this. <laughs> Yeah, insurmountable okay. problem. I need to put more scenes between the two hot characters who want to have sex again. I don't know. What should we do? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that we're not going to get into what exactly happens because, I mean, this is a novella and it would spoil everything. So we're not going to talk about, like, the little, the little plot twist at the end. I will simply say that I felt that she forgave him a bit easily for what he did. Yeah, I, I think ultimately I agree with you, and I also felt like this committed the sin that I hate the most, which is you should be aware of something because you spend so much time in the main character's head. Yes. And I, I usually Tessa Dare like, can do this pretty deftly, so I complain less. I didn't think she did a great job with it here. Yeah. Well, and my... So I think this really also reminded me of her really short novella his bride for the taking Mm -hmm. um like it reminded me of that a lot basically she it's it's the the heroine gets together with her best her brother her dead brother's best friend Mm -hmm. so there's that um the twist at the end was very similar yep uh and then lane's main you know Pet peeve was also present. Yep. So honestly, I, and I'm I'm not gonna ding an author for being like, you know, I wrote this really short novella and then I thought I'm gonna take the same idea and expand on it. Like, no, it was her. Yeah, it was her novella. Different. It's, it doesn't read like plagiarism of herself at all. No, no, it's no, no, just, not at all. Woo! There's childhood friends that have a contrived situation to end up together, and I'm doing it in a hundred pages. Of course, there's gonna be similarities. Yeah. Um, were you offended by anything? Are there any trigger warnings, content warnings? Blaine's uh, just shaking her head. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with anything because I feel like, you know, I mean, there was a little bit of high-handed bullshit. Yeah. I mean, that's why I was annoyed that she forgave him so quickly. I know, but it, it, in the scheme of things to put under trigger of content or offensiveness, No. No. Uh, sexiness. Are we comparing this to other novellas or other Tessa Dare novellas? I mean, it has to be... I, I don't know. I thought it was pretty sexy for a novella. 
I thought it was so much less sexy than Dare's normal standards, even for a novella. 50% into the book, they had not even kissed. Yeah, but that's because half of those, half of that 50% was the B-plot. I still feel like even usually a quarter of the way into a novella that Tessa Dare writes, they've made out. Yeah. I mean, Beauty and the Blacksmith, he straight up comes on to her in the first chapter, and they're making out in chapter two. Yeah. I mean, look, you can't compare all of her novellas to the best novella ever written. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I can, because she wrote it. (laughs) I mean... I don't know. She, I I did think it was pretty sexy though. I, I like, and perhaps because it was like some of my favorite <laughs> sexiness. <laughs> I can forgive a lot. So yeah, there there was something. There's one thing in particular that really appeals to Meg about him. <laughs> so look, I, first of all, I really liked their little reenactment scene. I like really liked that a lot. It was so funny. And pretty sexy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so she says, oh, my God, it's so funny. I, like, died laughing. Basically, he was like, so what did I miss out on? Apparently, I missed out on this great thing. So what was it? And she was like, I have more passion in my little finger than any of the women you've ever slept with. Yep. So, so later, they're actually, you know, getting into it. And he's like, oh, man, like, this is the best sex I've ever had in my life. I hope she wasn't lying about the passion in her fingers. <laughs> I, like, died. It was so funny, Lane. And it was so it was so well done for this particular yes. construct that I like. But so, Meg, what was the other reason it was the best sex he'd ever had in his life? Well, because it was the only sex he ever had in his life. <laughs> Meg got her virgin hero. I got my I got my virgin hero, but also it, she dealt with the issue. That, so the virgin hero issue, of course, is that this sex. So romance novels are written by women for women for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. So when we read it, we we want to see a nice, satisfying sex scene for the woman. Mm-hmm. How do you do that with a virgin hero? Because probably they're not that good, right? Mm-hmm. That's where his whole thing he's like okay um let's see how i can get this going and i i mean i thought it was i thought it was a really funny fun and maybe i should just say very tessa dare solution to the issue yes i mean i thought it was great it was so cute it was just the romantic couple was already only 50 percent of the book they spent the first half of their scenes together on the same page, upset and agitated with one another. They have one really intense night of passion immediately followed by a misunderstanding in a fight. Yeah. And then you get the grand Tessa Dare makeup, but I feel like the thing I love about Tessa Dare is, like, the slow burn's the wrong word, because there's usually a lot going on during that burn (laughs) period, but, like, I like the build-up and them being on the same page and sort of the flirtation and the finally caving. And just by virtue of the way this novella in particular was constructed... There's not that same, like, build-up to an apex solution. It's very, like, everything about the two of them getting to the, their, like, understanding with one another is crammed into, like, 10% of the book. Yeah. And usually Tessa Dare is great about not doing that. Yeah. No, I but agree. It was really fun, really cute, really sexy. Like, would you skip, would you skip this novella? No. no. But will I reread it when I want to read Spindle Cove? No. 
I mean, what will you reread when you want to read Spindle Cove? Uh, Beauty and the Black Exactly. <laughs> and then the actual books themselves. Like, they are very good. <laughs> they are pretty good books, I guess. But yeah, no. But this was a fun one. I, I, let's be honest. It was a Tessa Dare novella. How bad can it be? It's still good. Yeah, and it's totally good. She's... I would not be this critical if it were not written by Tessa Dare. <laughs> exactly. That's poor Tessa, killed, slain by her own reputation. Like, when I pick up a Tessa Dare novella, I expect sparks on the first page and quick resolutions and funny quips and unique interpretations on things. Yeah. And, like, this has all of that, but not as much as I'm used to with her. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But anyway, I, I do still recommend the, no- the novella. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time.